Trek Companion. This is episode 228. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are finishing out Voyager's fifth season with the episodes Relativity, Warhead, and Equinox Part 1. Here we go. Relativity, Season 5, Episode 24, Production Code 218, Original Air Date, May 12th, 1999. Directed by Alan Eastman, story by Nick Sagan, teleplay by Brian Fuller, Nick Sagan, and Michael Taylor, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Bruce McGill as Captain Braxton, Dakin Matthews as Admiral Patterson, Jay Carnes as Lieutenant Duquesne, Josh Clark as Lieutenant Joe Carey, and Tarek Ergen as Lieutenant Ayala. <laughs> Seven of Nine is recruited by Captain Braxton of the Time Ship Relativity, a starship from the 29th century, to travel back in time and discover who planted a temporal disruptor that destroys Voyager in the present. However, Seven must do this without being discovered by the past Janeways. They're aboard drone, attempting to prevent a disaster that won't occur for another three years. Three years, six months, and two days. Does this make any sense to you? Like most time paradoxes, it's implausible, but not necessarily illogical. Captain, when you take me from the Borg, you are going to tell me that part of being human is learning to trust. Trust me, now. Relativity. I gotta say, this episode is worth it to me, just so that we can hear Seven of Nine say, Seven of Nine to Seven of Nine. (laughs) I love that. That was pretty great. Uh, Steve, kick us off on relativity this is i mean i remembered this one pretty well um and kind of where it was going the whole time i mean i think it's kind of it's almost like a uh, classic time travel episode in terms of this era of star trek it kind of reminded me of a particular next gen episode as well this kind of thing where they're jumping around a bit and uh different times and have to restart again and these kinds of ideas um, I did feel there were times where it kind of was dragging at times, it felt like. I mean, there, there are certainly entertaining aspects to it. And, you know, Seven's such a great character. It's fun to see her off in some big adventure and all of this kind of thing. But um, there are times it kind of it kind of drags a bit. You know, it's funny that, like, her ocular implant can detect things better than sensors from 500 years in the future, you know? Yeah, like, that's, that, uh, that's a stretch. Yeah. And it's like, does she see greenish all the time? You know, when you see her, her perspective, you know, it's kind of like, man, it's kind of limiting. You don't have that green tint to everything she sees. But um, anyway, I mean, it's kind of fun and stuff. I mean, I don't think it's fantastic or anything. I, mean, I think it's sometimes the pace is not so great, but it's it's kind of fun. These kind of, uh, I don't know, solving a mystery, jumping around time kind of deals and uh, Janeway and her hair. I thought it would have been fun if they like had her hairstyle change every scene or something just to emphasize that. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway. That's my take. Yeah, it's a, it's fun. That's what I think about this one. I don't know if, how much we're going to have or what it's about, but it really is fun, and it does keep, do a, a, a great job of kind of keeping you guessing, and the surprises are satisfying. And you know what? I Actually, my favorite thing about it, really, aside from 7 of 9 to 7 of 9, is the teaser. The teaser is so great, you know? See, seeing, for the first time, really seeing the Utopia Planitia uh, shipyards, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As opposed to... Or we're there, and it's one ship in dry dock. You know? uh, so, that, I mean, that's great. And then it's such a great teaser to see Janeway being shown Voyager for the first time, and then all of a sudden there's Seven of Nine without her implant. It's it, And you're like, what the what? 
I mean, it's such a, it's a really solid teaser. By the way, listeners, apologies, I clearly have a cold, so sorry I sound funny. You sound sexy. I sound sexy. Uh, Adam, what do you think of Relativity? Yeah, I pretty much agree with what um, what has been said here. It's a it's a fun episode. It's entertaining, like you said. Um, I'm not sure how much we'll get into how much it's about, but you know, sometimes that just that doesn't work out. It doesn't mean it's a bad episode. It's very entertaining. Um, Steve mentioned, you know, um, you know, it, it harkened him back to some next gen episodes with the time travel. It kind of rhyme, rhyme reminded me a little bit of um, all good things, you know, when Picard goes back to the first time he steps aboard the enterprise we kind of get the same thing with janeway in here you know you go back to that very opening you know scene where janeway is on voyager and you know taking the tour and learning about what she needs to do so that's kind of fun um like i said the big <laughs> you kind of forget how big her hair was um you know back way back in um, season one um and you're right the kind of the guesting um bruce mcgill is a lot of fun i've always enjoyed him as an actor over the years i mean you know he, you know probably if, if, for those who aren't out there who aren't familiar with him, you've probably seen him in literally dozens and dozens of movies and TV shows and probably didn't realize it. So he's a he's a fun character actor. I thought he did well in here. I kind of I like that they brought the character Braxton back. Um, you know, we saw we saw this character, obviously, um, what was that season two or three? Um, anyway, I'm sure you've got a question about it towards the end of this episode. I don't because. I didn't even realize. How does this mess me up? Because I thought Bruce McGill played Braxton every time no. we saw Braxton, no. but he doesn't. He didn't play him the other times. He does such a perfect job of it that, it, like, I imagine him in those other episodes, even though yeah, he's sure. a different actor. Yeah, I mean, which that's I'm why sure I... is an insult to that other actor, but sorry. Well, it's because it's, it's Bruce McGill. He's really good. I mean, and that's a nice twist at the end. You know, he's the one who's actually trying to, to destroy Voyager, and it really it kind of ties in with you know if you're familiar with the the. The, what were the name of the episode, Steve? Um, that we did. Is that the no. futures? Uh, in no, that's something else. I think. Oh, I was going to say that too. Yeah, they go past, back to California. Past, past, future, past, past. I don't know some nonsense like that. But yeah, yeah they Brad- go to where the eugenics wars are not happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. If you remember, right, Captain Braxton was a sully, you know, kind of grumpy old guy back then. You know. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of a cool twist that, you know, he's the one that's actually trying to take out Voyager so, you know, he can stay um, stay in his job. So that, that was a kind of a fun twist at the end. That was kind of – I think that's kind of the only twist to this. I mean, you know, we've seen dozens of different time travel um, type episodes, and this kind of has a lot of the same familiar, familiar themes to that. I mean, there's only so many different ways you can jump around in time without trying to do it doing different things so overall like i said i i enjoyed the episode i thought it was entertaining they always like to take advantage of time travel stuff to kill all the characters and destroy the ship which they certainly do here right seven dies right at the beginning voyager is destroyed after literally nobody is able to get to an escape pod that's not what you say. it's kind of it's it's kind of farcical, but in a fun way, you know, they, they take it far enough where it's almost making fun of itself a little bit, the notion that the time travel stuff and reintegrating people together, you know, whatever. And they don't obviously don't have to explain, but it's, 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 and of course, Janeway's reactions kind of lend to that, you know, she's obviously never been a fan of time travel, but it's, it makes it all kind of like, here's an absurd time travel, silly story for you, you know, or whatever, you know, it's. What series did we get first get the, you know, the, um, the temporal, you know, the 29th century Starfleet time travel stuff. Was that, was that in Deep Space Nine or was it Voyager? I can't recall. I know we get a lot of it in Enterprise, obviously. It's a big, a big plot theme in Enterprise. 
Well, we had the people that came for uh, trials and tribulations. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Were they, were they from the future? Were they were they from like a current? I think they were from the current. They were coming there just to kind of debrief temporal investigations or yeah, something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to think. Did the, were was it? This I guess it's Voyager when the 29th century was kind of introduced. And did they reference 29th century? I don't remember. That's specifically they say that in this episode or these episodes. Well, it's Braxton. It always that. Well, it's Braxton, so. Right, because I mean, I think Enterprise did the whole said it was 29th century. Yeah, but gotcha. The Enterprise J. Yeah, all that stuff. As opposed to the end of Discovery's second season. Yeah, they had to go beyond that, I guess, to really clear themselves. <laughs> yeah. What is this episode about? Like I said, this is kind of where we might kind of fall into a little bit of trouble. Um, <laughs> this episode's about having fun, I suppose. Um, I, I guess you can kind of the themes that it's about. It's um, staying true to your crew. I mean, you know, seven to nine, you know, she's she's recruited to, you know, save the crew. So, um yeah, that means she she cares about her crew. What did you get, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I think there's not enough of any one thing to really nail anything. I mean, yeah, Seven obviously is is devoted to her crew, and she sacrificed herself and kind of you know to do something about it. You also get the whole futility of um, you know the fu- the futility of of trying to um, retaliate against someone and this kind you know, for the Braxton character and all that. But I don't think they, they dealt in, they, they dealt enough with any of those themes in detail enough to make it about those things, you know? So I don't, right. Yeah. Yeah. Vengeance doesn't pay. So sure. Sure. It must be so hard to make an episode like this. Like as an actor, every page, I would be so confused <laughs> about where we are as the director. You would think, I mean, it would just be so confusing because you could never shoot something without thinking about the context of the whole thing. Otherwise you'd just be completely lost. Uh, yeah, no, it's just, and you know, some of them are just rolling with just, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know what, you know what your center would be, you know what you'd have to just look for in every, every scene. Janeway's hair. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. That, that's where, where are we in your turn? It's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I see your hair. Okay. <laughs> all right. The only thing this episode is really missing is Captain America um, returning a stone. So I think if it had that, it'd be, it'd be perfect. All right, let's do six degrees for relativity. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Josh Clark returns to play Lieutenant Carey. What season was the last time we saw him play the role? Hmm. Well, first? Yes, sir. Uh, Adam, it's good you get this because you brought this sort of thing up. I just couldn't help but ask... Bruce McGill plays Captain Braxton in this time travel romp. Name the 1994 feature film time travel romp that he co-starred in, along with JCVD. Time travel romp? Yeah, I probably don't know this at all. What? 1994 action time travel. Time travel. I'm trying to think back to stars. JCVD? That's a short list, brah. Short list? I don't know. Wow. Okay. So you give up already? Yeah. Steve? This sounds really familiar, and I'm trying to get it. Um, but I don't think I'm able to come up with the name of it. So it's been too long since I've... Yeah, I'm sorry. And it has the girl from Ferris Bueller's, who I can't remember her name, because only two movies she did that I can <laughs> Time Cop! Oh, sure. 
John Claude Van Damme, Bruce McGill plays like his boss. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. <laughs> oh my god! Name a better John Claude Van Damme movie. I cannot. It's the best one. It's the good one. We'll see. We'll see. There's, there's the problem. I'm not. I haven't seen. I'm not a big John Claude. Well, trust movies. me. This movie. Ron Silver plays the villain. Okay. You know. Ah. Uh, no. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that. I have to check it out. It's been a long time. I think. Yes, I mean it's it's by today's standards, it's made it's a little bit like cheesy early '90s, but <laughs> I'd watched it within the last few months. I watched it again. I've watched it a million times, and I think it's a blast. I love the way they travel through time in it too. All right, but I remember I remember it so well because the teaser was such a great teaser. Like you're sitting there, you know, and it opens and it's like it looks like black and white footage from the '20s. And you see the guy, I mean, it looked like it, it was actually shot there, right? And the guy gets out of like a car and it's obviously like stock market, you know, like New York stocks craziness. And, and he sits there and he's like the the valet guy down at the bottom of the sky rise, you know, he, he's tips him or something. And he gets on, and this is all like 1920s. And he gets on the elevator, the lift, and he goes all the way to, to his like senior floor and he goes in there and he's got like the stock ticker thing, you know, like those old 20, you know, it's all, it's all mm-hmm. actually the 20s. And then he sits down and he pulls, it's <laughs> so great. And, out, and he closes the door so that none of his stock employees, people can see him. And then he goes into his desk drawer and he, <laughs> he pulls out a, a Sony mini disc player (laughs) (laughs) and he puts on headphones and then they start playing like heavy metal music and then it flips into color it's like time cop (laughs) 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 it's great it's so much fun yeah the the sony mini disc sure it was the future (laughs) (laughs) and now like a young person doing this now (laughs) like i have no idea what i'm talking about oh my god yeah (laughs) Uh, even even if it was a CD player, right? sure, they would sure. get it. But at the time, it was oh wow, this obviously, you know, was the like started at some point in the future. He's from the future future because he has a mini display. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, time cop, check it out, Bruce McGill. All right, Steve has one. Moving on. Warhead season five, episode twenty five, production code two nineteen. Original air date May nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine. Directed by John Kretschmer. Story by Brandon Braga. Teleplay by Michael Taylor and Kenneth Biller. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Mackenzie Westmore as Ensign Jenkins and Stephen Dennis as Unquani. Voyager answers a distress call from an alien device with bioneural circuitry. Voyager beams the survivor aboard and further scans show it is a highly sophisticated warhead capable of mass destruction. The Doctor, who speaks its technical language, fights for its rights when the rest of the crew seeks to distance the ship before the warhead fulfills its purpose. Look at it this way. You and I have something in common. Just because we're not organic beings doesn't mean we're in any way inferior. Well, you're metallic, over a meter in length, Cylindrical. Oh, you're quite sleek, actually. You're welcome. Adam, kick us off on Warhead. Warhead! It's a sophisticated bomb that befriends the Doctor. Good times. No, it's um, it's an interesting episode because I think it has it has a lot more to say than say what relativity, which what we just um spoke about. But um, I wouldn't say it's as entertaining as relativity. I'm not saying it's a bad episode. Um, but it's 
it's interesting, you know, uh, obviously it's kind of cool. We see Kim, he's on the midnight bridge crew and he's kind of all, all by the book, Captain Ego and Gung Ho, you know, doing this, the answer distress call from, um, this, um, warhead, or they don't know what it's, what it is at the moment. They just know it's a device on this planet. They beam down, they beam it to, to Voyager and, you know, the doctor kind of, um, I don't know if befriends it is, is the right word, but I mean, he feels kind of akin to it. It's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's, it's artificial intelligence. That's the word I'm looking for. So yes, the doctor kind of, kind of feels a kindredness to it. So, um, you know, and they kind of get along once they kind of find out what it is. Um, that's kind of, I don't know. I don't know. You know, is the, is this device, um, sentient? I don't know if, I mean, they get there because it inhabits the the doctor's body, but I don't know if it's kind of a, a stretch to kind of think that this bomb is kind of sentient. Um, and obviously, you know, they they go through the, all the you know back and forth. Uh, do we keep it? Do we destroy it? Do we keep it or destroy it? Then we find out that the bomb isn't really supposed to destroy its target, and then it sacrifices itself at the at the end of the episode to destroy all the other smart bombs that are on the way to its target. Um, so it's it's. It's not uncharted territory for Star Trek. Obviously, they didn't get fully involved in like this these cultures' ongoing war. That's kind of kind of the difference here in this episode to maybe past ones where you know uh, um, one of those Star Trek vessels will kind of inadvertently step into a disagreement between two warring civilizations. So we don't go there. We just kind of get the um, you know the weapons perspective. Steve, what do you think? I think I think this is a, a pretty good episode, and I. Um... I think it does have something to say. I, I kind of like, it's almost like I like the the message better than the implementation because I do think there's some, it kind of, there, it kind of was a big leap for the character of the bombed or whatever to, you know, you know, that's within the doctor to come to this conclusion that, you know, like, like I'm going to repurpose myself and bring meaning to my existence or whatever that fast it seemed like it was like no i'm doing this i'm you know digging in his heels or whatever now i mean this gets a lot of bonus points because of picardo and how well he pulls it off and it's kind of one of these you know what a great opportunity to to show off in a way you know because it's it's such a bizarre character to play you know i mean you're you're playing a bomb bomb. you know i mean it's it's crazy you know but it it really is fascinating the when you get into the i mean it's kind of like all the fluff with the the night shift and Harry and all it, that's a, this is what's weird about this episode is that it, it's, it's by all it's, it almost has to be a Harry episode the way they try to make it right. Because they, they, yeah. he like, he like builds his character and you know, he's be- growing as a leader and that's great. It's bookended with him. Yes. So that's clearly what they're doing and I get it. But the most, to me, the most fascinating episode, the most fascinating uh, element of this episode is the notion of, um, you know, again, we're going to go into what it's, what it's about, but this notion of your purpose, you know, and okay, uh, you're, what do I do? Is it hardwired? Can I change it? This kind of thing. And, and that's really has nothing to do with Harry and his journey, you know? So that's kind of what's, what's interesting about this episode is, you know, you got to say it's a Harry episode that he's, he's the bookend. That's what they're trying to do. But, you know, Picardo is what he's doing, what he does, and he's delivering this and this whole notion of identity and purpose and so on. And that's what, to me is more interesting. Well, part of that too is Bob Picardo is so great. He's just so good. Yeah. Yeah. He's got scenes where he's, where he's talking to uh, a metal box. 
and <laughs> it's entirely compelling. And I completely believe that those beeps mean something and he is responding emotionally. You know, I mean, it's, it's, he's just so good. Like literally he, it's him and a metal box in the shot and he's having a two way conversation and he's great. He's, he's really good. Um, and when, when you give him something like that and he's so good at it, you can't help but feel like it's a doctor episode or a Picardo episode. It's, it's, it, it just makes the, the whole balance of the thing funky. And I, I agree. That's, that's what makes the episode feel kind of clunky to me because it sets it up and it plays it like it's a hairy episode, but then it doesn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it ends up as a disservice to both. Yeah. Harry's kind of more of the B story. Yeah, weird but way. it's not, not set up that way, you know. Yeah. It's set it, it, so it so it just kind of it's it's almost like it weakens both things, you know. It does have some pretty good moments. It certainly does. I said I did have a funny note in here that I'm trying to recall what prompted it, but I have that extra looks really extra, and I don't know what prompted that note. That's one of the more fascinating tidbits. It's very early on in the episode, there must have been someone who was a very ancillary character that didn't look like they really belonged. Well, something. it's because you know, you're talking, it fits into what you're saying the episode's really about, right? <laughs> what is that extra's purpose? Are, are you talking about um, the helmsman early on? The girl that was doing the midnight shift? Well, maybe I was just I was thinking of how she wasn't particularly compelling because now that you bring that up, it, it yeah, it did strike me as kind of like she's just there to. Well, I kind of well to me she was kind of weird because it's like they almost had her played playing as a, a. I guess I mean I guess she would be kind of a regular. I mean everybody would know her on the ship, but no, the audience doesn't know her, and so that's what kind of well, felt it's weird. Fun, about they set it. it up like there's this whole lower decks thing going on. It's just the right. night crew, but then it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah. Obviously, that would have been fun. Yeah, that definitely would have been because obviously her and, and Harry knew each other. They had a relationship, but I mean, you know, the audience isn't keen to that. And then it's kind of just let go until the very end of the episode where he's like, don't take any distress calls. And it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Like we've never seen this girl before and we will never see her again, but she's obviously a big part of this crew. And why you'd have two people on the bridge during the night, quote unquote, and the, in like 10 during the day. I mean, come on. And what, happen, what happens if something crazy happens? Does Kim have to pull a double? Is he like, okay, we got a big thing? Well, I guess, yeah. He's just kind of, you know, kissing up by doing this whole night shift thing or command or whatever. But, yeah, the problem is is that, yeah, you could be stuck there because then he's the prime ops guy. And so, I don't know. That brings into question the uh, <laughs> the decision to let him do this, <laughs> you know, because is he just <laughs> staying on there, you know? It's like, okay, now go half Well, the other thing is, asleep, he's been on the ship for five years and he's still an ensign. Yeah. I know they're all kind of stuck. And you're going to let him, I mean, you're going to let him captain the ship as an ensign. Yeah. Mm-hmm, that seems mm-hmm. like a bit much. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I think I've kind of mentioned this before, you know, cause you know, if you think about it in next gen, you had kind of, um, you had O'Brien who was kind of outside regular. I mean, we never really kind of got that in Voyager. I kind of thought it was like kind of a missed opportunity. I mean, you have this group of people that are stuck on this ship for five years, you know, and we primarily just spend all of our time, on um, the main characters, they never really divulged that far out of the. You know, we never had a lower decks episode. We never had. We never 
we don't what are they, all these other people do that are stuck on this ship i mean so we never kind of saw that i thought it was kind of something that they missed that it was a missed opportunity mm-hmm. on voyager all right right well, it's funny we spent a lot of this conversation talking about things that have nothing to do with the warhead or <laughs> cardo yeah. well you know uh, one thing is i this is another one that i think you might recall when i on the on a past episode when i talked about the outthink the think tank and then we have outsmart the smart bomb this is another one that just kind of kept that. Oh yeah, she's got that line, up. didn't she? Yeah, we're gonna outsmart yeah. the smart bomb, and I think this is this is when it really kicked off. Where my brother and I just joked about Janeway saying out this to this at <laughs> every episode. We, we try to come up with some line, to, you know, every time when we watch this back in the day. <laughs> out, drink the coffee drinker. <laughs> right, right. What is this episode about? That, that's the the best part of this. I mean, they do have a lot, kind of, lot to say. I mean, you know, like um. Mass destruction. That's kind of the, the, the first thing, you know, um, the purpose of mass destruction. Are, are they, is it wise to have weapons like this? And is it wise to use them? Um, when is it, when is it justifiable to, to use weapons like this? Um, um, another thing I kind of got about from it is um, your identity. You know, obviously the smart bomb identified itself as a, a weapon to protect its civilization at all cost, no matter what, and then you know it's it's it once it learned and grew it, its identity kind of changed, and it realized it's like you know I have to self-sacrifice myself to save my civilization. So in that respect, it kind of really was a smart bomb, and that's that's kind of what I took from it. Two things I took from it. It really is a fascinating concept to think about giving a a, a, a bomb, giving it any kind of weapon, sentience, like a, a yeah, ba- yeah, and that's that's a really unique idea that I certainly don't recall. Mm-hmm. Even in any other Star Trek, um, yeah, yeah, and 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 again, I, I'm I come back to you know you, you mentioned how great Picardo is, and I think I mean I really wonder if like it would have been like an average kind of actor playing the role that does this if we'd have been even talking about anything compelling coming out of this because they tried to make it a Harry episode which would have been about growing as a leader and blah 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 and this kind of stuff you would have had this notion of the identity of an artificial intelligence and that kind of thing and and morals regarding mass destruction but really maybe because of his delivery because that's what you focus on and what you pay attention to for me I, I think of the idea of purpose and identity and this idea that, you know, I mean, it's, it's natural, you know, if if you are in a situation where your prime, what you deem as your primary function in some context is at stake and is not relevant, you get defensive about it. That's what we saw. And then ultimately, if you want to survive, you repurpose yourself and come to some, you know, higher level of, um, in some respect to, to have a purpose and create a new identity for yourself. That's what you focus on. And I wonder if that would be what would stick out so much if it wasn't for the acting in this. So, but that, that's what I think of when I think of this episode. All right, let's do six degrees for warhead. Uh, Let's see. Steve has one. Adam, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Mackenzie Westmore plays Ensign Jenkins, Kim's duty-bound helmsman. Name her famous behind-the-scenes Trek father. Behind-the-scenes Trek father? Working on probably every episode of Next Gen, Voyager, DS9. Oh, so he's um producer or director or something, huh? I'll give you a hint. He's got the same last name. Jenkins? 
No, that's the character name. Her What's real her name? name, her the actress's name is Mackenzie Westmore. Westmore. Um, I don't know. Oh, I thought this would not be a hard one. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Steve, who's her dad? Uh, Michael. That's right. Her dad is a f- uh, makeup guy, Michael Westmore. He makes all the aliens. Doesn't he have a heritage of makeup through his family too? Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. So she she bucked the trend by being an actress instead of a makeup person. Right. There's a pretty good. I forget on, I forget where it is, but there's a pretty good uh, little interview. She does an interview with her dad in one of the Blu-ray box sets or something, and they go through the Westmore family history in makeup as makeup artists in Hollywood. It's pretty. It's pretty interesting. I think it. It was one of the movie sets. Yeah, I don't remember if it was the next gen one or the original series. It must have been the next gen one, right? Because he. I don't think mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. the original series stuff. Anyway, and like, and he's he's got a book. That it's in my Amazon wish list. I need to pick it up one of these days. But like his history, because you know he he did like Rocky and a bunch of movies and stuff before he hmm. uh, switched over to TV. Okay, Steve has two. Adam or no, Steve. Uh, Stephen Dennis plays Anquani, Neelix's alien buddy that decides to not be very helpful. He previously played not one but two of the night aliens in the episode Night that kicked off which season of Voyager. Hmm. Uh, let me see here. The uh, the fifth season? Yep, this one. Season five. Oh my gosh, Steve has three. Moving on. Let's see if we can get five. Equinox Part 1, Season 5, Episode 26, Production Code 220. Original air date, May 26th, 1999. Directed by David Livingston. Story by Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and Joe Minoski. Teleplay by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include John Savage as Captain Rudy Ransom, Titus Welver as Lieutenant Commander Maxwell Burke, Olivia Berkland as Ensign Marla Gilmore, Eric Steinberg as Ankari, Stephen Dennis as Thompson, Scarlett Palmers as Naomi Wildman, and Rick Worthy as Noah Lessing. Voyager's crew is surprised to receive emergency hail from another Federation starship, the, e- the Equinox, in the Delta Quadrant. They arrive to find the damaged ship under attack by neurological lifeforms. Under advice from Equinox Captain Rudy Ransom, Captain Janeway has Voyager extends its shields around both ships, quelling the attacks, though the creatures continue to bear down on the shields, weakening them both over time. Every time I sacrificed one of those lives, a part of me is lost as well. I might believe that if I hadn't examined your research. These experiments were meticulous and they were brutal. If you'd felt any remorse, you'd never have continued. Starfleet Regulation 3, Paragraph 12. In the event of imminent destruction, a captain is authorized to preserve the lives of his crew by any justifiable means. I doubt that protocol covers mass murder. In my judgment, it did. Unacceptable. Equinox. I have things to say about this episode, and I would like to start, but I have a cold and my voice hurts, so... Who would like to start? You can start, Brian. You sound fine. I don't feel fine. <laughs> Let's talk, please. I have a, I have a uh, note. One of my uh, sentences, my, not a sentence, in my notes is, like slime from Ghostbusters. I remember the very beginning of this reminded me of you the... Meant, you meant Slimer. 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 Oh, yes, yes. That must have been what I was going for. Yeah, but yeah. Like relatives. Like yeah, later on, you see their or... form better, but in the first little segment, to me, it looked like Slimer coming out and all that, yeah. It's funny, because this is the this episode, I happen to remember 
like specifically I where I was when I watched it. I mean, that sounds dumb, but I, I remember the circumstances. There having to be a party at my parents' house, you know, that my parents were putting on, and I watched it in a different room than usual and this kind of thing. It's funny how stuff like that works, but I remember remember the, the context of seeing this episode. I mean, um, not like it. I thought this was like the best episode ever or something, but I guess just, you know, the, the drama of seeing a season finale, you know, of a TV show you follow, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that's, that's kind of what I think of most when I, when I see, when I think of this episode, you know, I mean, I think it's, you, there's highlights in here, right? I mean, you know, John Savage is this, is, is the captain of the other ship. Um, the drama of meeting, um, a crew, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, what's going on here, you know, from the get go. Cause you're like, there's another one out here and this kind of thing. Um, and seeing kind of the other side of the coin, like what would, what would you do if you were in, you know, a situation where you suffered so much loss, like this other ship did. And would you, would you go to these, to this, to, would you resort to these tactics to do what you need to do, you know, the ethics and so on. So that's, what's interesting. Um, I also remember BLT and all that nonsense and turkey platter. That was silly, but um, anyway, those are my first thoughts on this episode. Adam, um, yeah, it's definitely an, an interesting. Um, you know, you you have another Federation ship here. It was pulled in by the caretaker as well. Um, but it's a much smaller ship, which is kind of funny. Voyager is kind of a small ship to begin with, I guess, compared to say a galaxy class but voyagers voyagers are much more sturdy you know kind of a warship as compared to the equinox like the, you know they, they bring this up the equinox is more a science vessel it's just for quick interplanetary um jumps and it's probably obviously had a much smaller crew than voyagers so that um you know you can kind of imagine you can kind of imagine how tough it would have been for them because there are times when voyager would went through hell and back they even had a year of hell but um, so, yeah, I mean, having this like, how far do you take it? And, you know, um, Janeway and Voyager, they've kind of they've kind of dealt with this. How far do you, you take it? Do you, do you go past the prime directive, that kind of thing? And so obviously you see, you know, the Equinox, um, um, this captain, you know, they they kind of they went well past the line, you know, um, taking these creatures and, um, you know, basically harvesting their body as um, energy or fuel to to power their their ship to go um um, incredibly fast warp speed so they can get home quicker. Um, the one kind of thing, you know, I mean, we, there's another thing that we kind of get into, we get into the, you know, Janeway, she, you know, once the Equinox, you know, takes off Janeway, you know, kind of goes on a, a revenge thing, but that's, that's more for part two, but, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a good, you know, you know, cliffhanger. It's kind of entertaining. There's drama there. There's kind of conflict. Um, and it's kind of an interesting take, you know, kind of seeing um, where the enemy is actually, you know, supposed to be your family. That's kind of a, an inter- interesting take. Well, certainly, yeah, the, the Equinox would have had it a lot harder, a smaller ship, smaller crew. But aside from that, you know, just the idea that another ship, another Federation ship got stranded out in the Delta Quadrant and did not deal with it <laughs> as well as Voyager. You know, we are all the shows we've talked about that, but like all the shows are the hero Federation people. Otherwise, they wouldn't. It's not the show would be about when we encounter bad Starfleet people as guest stars. <laughs> I guess this is no different, but just it's an interesting concept to see to see them 
go the other way. You know, we think about some of our favorite, we think about uh, Pale Moonlight, you know, like that amazing DS9 episode. Cisco get goes dark and he's like, I can live with it. Um, but here, you, you know, here you've got, here you've got people that are just flat out mass murdering <laughs> yeah. uh, the species and justifying it, right? I think the way, what breaks the episode down a little bit for me or put it another way, it would have made it much more effective. I don't, I don't really ever feel any empathy for Ransom or his crew, really. And they can be mass murderers, and and you can. I mean, I'm still talking about Infinity War, and it's been out for a year and a half, and that's basically a a, a feature where I feel empathy for Thanos, <laughs> who does some pretty bad stuff as far as you know, killing a lot of people. So you can totally do it, and that's what makes it made that movie so great. I I feel like if I'd felt if they could have made me feel a little bit more empathy for Ransom and his crew, it would have made this more effective. If I'd felt just a little something, because unfortunately, what I feel like is oh, they're just they're just mass, evil mass murderers. Well, I mean, I think if you had this show, if you had this plot line come out today in a, in a Star Trek series, you would probably have a little bit more setup. I think probably a better way to do this is you just start with the Equinox and you just kind of, you know, you kind of just jump into this crew and you might try to get to know them a little bit more before, you know, you have this. Judgment. Yeah. What if there had been an entire episode of just Equinox, like flashbacky stuff where we see them, mm-hmm. all of them and, and what I they don't went know. through, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in in this case, we kind of just kind of have to, you know, they talk about how tough it was, but we don't really see it. And we it's harder to, it's harder to relate to that kind of thing when you're not in, in it with the characters in a story, um, as opposed to like, just kind of, oh, you know, we had it really tough, half our crew died and, you know, we started killing creatures for energy. Yeah, I think in that sense, it may be a bit of a victim of the era. I mean, you can't really do it justice in a way i mean but but yeah i agree that it's it's i don't i don't feel anything for them i mean i have a line in my notes about that oh these guys are buttholes i mean you know except for that one ensign you know that you kind of you know i guess you see that she feels a little trapped or whatever all these people are just playing along with this and i you know you lose half the crew i get it's a big deal but then you just totally go against everything you keep just pushing it you know you keep pushing it i mean it's just it's just it seems a bit much, you know. Yeah, and it's not like the like the half the crew they lost. It wasn't because of Slimer. Yeah, it was some other thing. Right, that would have right. been something, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the sure. Slimer guys only trying to kill them because they're murdering them, right? Mm-hmm. There was no, you know, like what what I was just mentioning. If we got to spend more time with the Equinox crew, I don't even I don't even know if it's. I think it's just a kind of a creative choice. I mean, they kind of just they. The, the episode kind of slows down when, you know, oh, you know, we're going to come aboard. Oh, we're going to kind of eat lunch. Oh, this was my old boyfriend back in, you know, the Academy. To me, that kind of slows the whole episode down. You know, this kind of this, oh, you know, kind of getting to know you um, stuff that's going on in the middle of the episode. You know, um, it's to me, it's kind of like a waste of time. It's, and I think this episode would have done a lot better just kind of getting rid of that. Just these, no, these people don't need to know each other at all. We don't need to have like these past boyfriends and that kind of thing what we had with Lana and the other guy um you could have spent more time um setting up an emotional attachment to the equinox crew and i think it would have been more effective what is this episode about what's the line you know and will you cross it and will you stay 
you know, it's, you know, there's obviously in Star Trek and every captain has, has butted the line and even some have kind of crossed it, but um, they've never gone completely astray across the line to, to impede their own morals and their own values, not just as like Starfleet officers, but as um, human beings. And, you know, that's kind of what the, I think this kind of goes past, um, you know, just being a Starfleet officer or, or crew person. It's just, it's about right or wrong is just a, a normal a person as a, a human being, as a life form, you know? Um, so it, it talks a lot about that and, you know, just what the things that people will do in um, desperate situations, um, will it, change them for the worst or will it change them for the better i agree with it i think i think where this this episode fails or, i mean where it could have got done better is that it's just too it's too blatant i mean it's not it's you know the the they they, they take such drastic action and we don't have enough background to 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 understand to, to uh, feel anything for them to see why they did it i mean yeah it's not practical back in the day but i totally agree with what you said adam in terms of how you'd set it up you'd just spend a whole lot of time with them so you see this whole scenario play out then put them together get rid of all the fluff and see okay now here and, and basically it forces you that would force you to see here's us if we'd gone through worse and 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 and, that, and that's where that's where you that's where you'd have the moral of the story is is that you know how much of what how much does one compromise their values depending on their situation you know and um, I mean I, I don't think this is awful by any means you know we talk about it and we raise these issues but I think it could have been done better but I think that that's what worth what it's going for. All right, let's do six degrees for equinox. Steve has three. Adam, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Let's get this sucker out of the way. John Savage plays Captain Ransom, named the 1978 Oscar-winning Vietnam veteran film that made him famous. Um, was that Deer Hunter? Yes, sir. Steve Rickworthy plays Noah Lessing, the Equinox crew member that also has something up his sleeve. He played the recurring character of Jannar in what season of Enterprise? Hmm. Three? Yep. It was not a shutout. Yay, I got a run. It was not a shutout. No, no, no shutout for, for Steve. Uh, Picard has wrapped its first season of shooting. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Not a lot else going on. Uh, there was another mass shooting last weekend. As promised, I'm going to bring this up every time. But if you believe in the utopian future of Star Trek, please write your congressman or congresswoman and request common sense gun reform, gun control, uh, it sounds like it's a preliminary report. I'm not sure if it's nece- if it's accurate yet or not, but it, but it sounds like the guy that did the mass shootings last weekend in Texas tried to buy a gun and failed the background checks. So then he went and bought it from a private person. And of course, background checks aren't required at gun shows or private sales. So if that's true, then that's a perfect example of why we need common sense gun reform and, uh, you know, universal background checks, get rid of those loopholes. So if you believe in that future, uh, contract your, contact your congressman or congresswoman. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. I apologize again for the ultra sexy voice I have in today's episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be back to sounding like my normal 
Nasally self. self. <laughs> and yes, my normal unsexy self in two weeks. Uh, and in two weeks, we are going to start Voyager's sixth season. So thank you for spending an hour with us. We hope you'll be back in two weeks. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.